Welcome to Oil and Gas Conversations. I'm your host, Adriel Kunle Hassan. It is 2020 and women are still not adequately represented in some industries, energy, construction, politics, especially in Africa. In this episode, we will be talking about female representation and presence in the oil and gas industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode. I'm going to let my guest introduce herself. Hi, everyone. It's my pleasure to be with you today. My name is Ogogo Efiom. I'm the section director for Society of Petroleum Engineers, Lagos section. My background is actually in geology, and I've got a master's in um, asset integrity management. I'm really happy to be here speaking about a topic that I'm really passionate about. Thank you so much. So the topic today is about female representation and presence in the oil and gas industry. I know this is a big one um, for women in the energy industry as a whole, and I'm just going to dive right into it. So I was looking at some statistics and it showed that in the oil and gas industry, at entry level, there's a balance between the number of men and women. However, it dramatically reduces at management level. We're talking about 77% men to 23% women. Why do you think this is? I think there are a variety of reasons. And you're, you're absolutely correct. I do find that as I go into the more senior levels of even any organization in the oil industry, you would find fewer women. And the more I've looked at it, the more I've thought about it. And even from my personal experience, there are a number of reasons. For example, take something as easy and as fundamental as feedback, which is um, someone giving you advice on how to improve uh, your growth areas and so on and so forth. I find that when I speak to my male colleagues, they get more qualitative and more quantitative feedback that helps them grow in their career. I think people are still afraid of hurting women's feelings or not wanting them to cry as if that's a problem. But But women tend to not get the feedback that they need to grow. And of course, as time goes on, You know, you have to then get mentors, um, someone who is more senior to you in the industry, who can give you some more advice and all that. And but I find also that mentors are not translating to sponsors. And I find that also that uh, sponsorship, it doesn't happen for women as it does for men. When women are hired, they're still seen as a gamble. When they get some strategic roles or when they are given strategic roles, it still looks like you're taking a big chance to give a woman this role, even though she's adequately and many at times she's even overqualified for the job. I think as women also advance, there's less room for error. And of course, once you make a mistake, a mistake is an opportunity for you to grow. When a woman is actually picked for a role and she makes a mistake in that role, the repercussions are a lot more severe. And then she becomes a lightning rod. It's almost like once one woman makes a mistake, then every other woman is no longer suitable for that role, which doesn't happen for men. And there are many reasons why a woman can make a mistake in a role. It can be lack of support. It can be lack of sponsorship. Yeah, or just human nature. Exactly. But it's seen as almost like a career ender for women at a higher level than it is for men. Exactly. And once it happens with one woman, it almost like seals the deal and no other woman gets that opportunity anymore. Then, of course, if you go into literature, you would find things around the broken rung and the glass ceiling, which is, you know, at, even at younger stages, women are not given those strategic roles. And for all the reasons I mentioned, they still need to prove themselves a whole lot more than, than necessary for any role. And very often, 
you know, that makes women less competitive as they grow older. If you're not getting those roles at the time you should be at the same time as your peers, then obviously as you get older, you're less competitive. Um, there's something else I also find very interesting is that, and it typically happens with women as well, which is very often decisions are made for women behind their back. Yes. Take, for example, someone was talking about some struggle that she had. in. So this is not even the oil industry, it's some other industry. And she was just talking about how, you know, she had confided in her boss about being pregnant and she was pregnant, but she also wanted to change roles to a different department. And that different department was like her dream. And when the time came for them to pick her, this same boss who she had confided in said, no, don't bother picking this lady. She's pregnant. So yeah. many times, you know, there was those discussions are made for women behind their back. Oh, she just got married. Don't pick her for this field job mm-hmm. because she wouldn't want to go. Or she just had a baby. She wouldn't want to go. You, maybe you're trying to be protective, but you're actually undermining a woman. I don't think I've ever heard a boss say about his uh, male staff that, oh, his wife just gave birth, which is also his kid. You know, and therefore, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think he's ready for this progression or this, this um, opportunity and all that. So those are the things I see. Of course, talk about the glass ceiling. There are so few in those leadership cadre that when you talk about women in leadership, people don't have a mental model of what that looks like. I think that you gave proper examples of all the things that, you know, are going on. And when I was looking at it, you know, when you look at the statistics, they say that there is a balance at entry level. And I wonder, so if there's a balance at entry level, I know all these things will come to play, but why is it still such a huge difference? And I did more research and what I realized is that at the entry levels of the industry, roles are more general and maybe office-based. So those skills, the organizational skills, you know, receptionist, assistant, you know, mm-hmm. those roles are still counted as oil and gas positions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Even though the skills are, are different, they are not the technical roles. And what happens is that women mostly fill those roles, but those roles are are the roles that have the least managerial potential, if if you get what I mean, right? It's really rare to see like a personal assistant that grows into a manager Mm -hmm. within an organization, right? So if if there are maybe 15 personal assistants in a company and all of them are women, you are not going to see those people in managerial role. And, and, And I think that's why when we look at the statistics, is the difference is very large as you go up. Absolutely. So we talk about managerial roles, then we talk about C-suite level. There are even less women. And what I noticed, because I did some research, and they rarely hold technical roles. So the roles that we normally see in C-suites are legal, HR, company secretary. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the people, so COO, CEO, Technical director, exploration manager. Yeah, yeah. Yes, all mm-hmm. those people are mostly males. And then you give the women, and this is what I call it, right? The stereotypical role. HR, nurturing, taking mm-hmm. care of people, legal, argumentative. What do you think about that? Is that something you have noticed? Yes, I have noticed it. I am definitely onto something there. You are correct. What I think is women in technical roles are still not normalized yet. Once a woman is maybe head of um, well engineering, for example, she's still seen as a unicorn. It's like, wow, you know, it's not, it's not yet seen as something that is, is normalized. So prior to her, 
maybe in the history of that co company, there may be one or two. And then after her, you give her another X number of years before somebody else comes in and takes that position. And that's because it's just not yet normalized. There's still a perception of where women naturally fit. And when I say naturally fit, it's in inverted commas within the industry. And that's typically those departments that you mentioned. I believe that in technical roles, these skills are equally important. The skills that you talk about, whether it's call it argumentative, I call it being an advocate, or when you call it yeah. organizational, soft skills and all that, they are equally important. But I don't still think that they are highly prized just yet. I think mm-hmm. that's changing a little bit. But for now, what I'm seeing is women's personality is often seen as a proxy for their technical competence. So if, for example, a woman is in a technical role and she's a nice, pleasant, nurturing person, then automatically her technical ability is downplayed. Yes. She may be really, really good technically, but that becomes secondary to her. Oh, she's so nice. Oh, she's so motherly. She's a mentor. She's so caring and all that. And people tend to forget that this woman is an engineer. She's got this background. She's got that background and so on and so forth. And it's meant to do the, the opposite. Indeed. It's to say like, okay, this person knows the technical, but she can also manage people. She can also lead people. It should be a plus, not a minus. No, it's what is called the double bind dilemma. If you're too nice, then you're not seen as being technical enough. Then, of course, Mm -hmm. there are women who are naturally really very quiet, but extremely astute technically. But then it's almost like, oh, she doesn't have leadership qualities. She's so quiet. And when you talk about lead, it's almost like the person needs to be more like a man you know people don't say that anymore too much but there's still a bit of mm, she's not quiet you know she doesn't want it she's not hungry enough i don't really see how she fits in, in that leadership role and so on so personality is used to equate with accuracy and that's you know typically is not the case for for men i remember when i was coming up in the industry i remember someone telling me that if i wanted to be taken seriously i should i was a bit of a tomboy anyway but it says i should always dress in shirts and trousers i should never wear makeup and i keep my head low and just be as you know bland as possible so that i can be taken seriously right mm-hmm. now anyone that knows me knows i like to dress up and so i had to keep that side of my personality hidden which of course means you're almost driving with one hand behind your back throughout and of course eventually i got into a company and i saw senior women engineers and geologists and you know they were doing really well they wore their high heels and they wore their skirts and their red lipstick and there were so many of them that it was just like wow you know normal so until something becomes normalized you'll be penalized for ridiculous things like the color of your hair or why you wearing such makeup Somebody actually said to me once when I was much younger that, you know, if you care about your appearance, that means you can't care about your academics as much or you can't care about your job as much. That was the perception back in the day. So mm-hmm. that's why female representation is so important, is to shake those kind of stereotypes, to say, you yeah. know, I can be myself and I'm fine. And we need to see all type of women. Exactly. So there'll be the ones who wear the suits. There'll be the ones who wear the dresses. Let's have all those types of representation. And and that's why it's so important. So you've started talking about it, but I want to go a little bit deeper about your journey, what your journey has been like, you know, working in a technical role in an industry like ours. I think I mentioned already, I have a background in geology and uh, a master's in asset integrity management. And I started working in a client-facing role. Um, but as a software support person uh, for an international oil servicing company based in Lagos. And it was a fantastic role to get into first thing students of university because then I worked with clients, 
I got to learn what was then considered cutting edge technology software. So I got to travel. I got to, you know, go on lots of training and give training as well. So that was, it was really quite good to come in to the industry in that, um, in that respect. It was while I was doing that, that I then got a job as a production geologist for an IOC. And then I moved to, from the oil servicing company to an IOC, again, based in Nigeria. So in that regard, you can say, you know, I've also been quite lucky. It's rare for you to get out of school, get into the industry directly. And then from there, from one company, go into the next one. And within the IOC that I work for, you know, I've changed jobs um, a few times. So indeed, um, as a technical person, as a geologist, I did everything that I think a geologist should do. I drilled wells, I planned them. I, one of the high points I think of that, that side of my career was when I won an award for drilling the first horizontal water injection well in deep water. And that was really, really good. Um, more recently though, I have stepped out of more technical roles. It's still a technical role, but I'm into more of an integration role currently. The current role that I'm doing now is as a senior planner and uh, it's a more business centric role and um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So what difficulties did you face during your journey? Is there any that comes to mind? Of course, there, I mean, there are many difficulties, but I, again, so I'm, I'm trying to think about difficulties that have come as a result of being female and some of it is yeah. around perception more than anything else. I think everyone has an idea of how you should be as a person. So I'm quite outspoken and um, and I say things the way I see them. And I always qualify to say, well, that's my opinion. And you know, I don't have to, we don't all have to agree with it, but um, yes, but let's agree to disagree or something like that. But that comes across as, you know, uh, maybe argumentative. I think you mentioned that already or something. So I've learned over the years, to, it's not everything I'm as vocal about as I would have been um, when I was a little bit younger. So I think what I would look at, if we're talking about uh, challenges I've had in the past, I've tried to see them more as um, learning opportunities. You win some, you lose some, you know, and, you know, try and grow from from those kind of examples. So at the beginning, you talked a little bit about sponsorship and how like sometimes in the places where you know names are called women's names are not called so let's talk about your journey going up the ladder like promotions were they simply organic meaning everybody did xyz you got a good performance review and you moved up the next step or were they things that you needed to campaign for fight for so these days i think we're in an unfortunate especially i think um for the last 10 years, maybe. These days, we are in a bit of an unfortunate situation where the opportunities are just not as many as they were, right? Mm-hmm. The oil comes have done well, yes, but especially maybe between 2014 to date, things have really shrunk more than they have, more than they have grown. At best case scenario is maybe they've stayed the same. So which means that the resources are scarce, the opportunities to grow are scarce. Um, let's first start from that. Um, also, many of these oil companies, right, these big, big oil companies have a relatively flat structure where progressions don't just happen organically like that. In some cases, but not, not regularly like that. And having a really flat organization means that, you know, most people are on generally the same level and just a few people get, get those promotions. I, I can almost say that in some ways, there are people I came into the company with that I'm ahead of. And there are other people who I came into the company with that are ahead of me. Everyone 
wants that those um, quick progressions and quick promotions as quickly as possible. But sometimes they're just not available. So they're, they're just not there. And even when they are there, there are so many different considerations that come into play, right? And I think it also goes back to you being ready and you haven't had the experience to have built up certain profile prior to the time the opportunity becomes available. So that's the other thing. So if you're not getting the experience when you're at a certain age, for example, then by the time you get to the middle of the career, you're not competitive to go even further than you you thought. So it's not as much as getting those jobs is as much as what you've done leading up to it so it's almost like mm. you are set up for success or set up not for success as the case may be i agree with you i i think one thing we we're talking about in the beginning and i think that i have kind of tried to put it in my life is that as women we all know what the issue is we all know that we need to be perfect for a man to be basically just okay right mm-hmm. to get a job over him that's the reality, right? Especially when the decision maker is also a man um, and maybe you have no affiliation. And I think we're reaching a stage, you know, like you're saying, with there being fewer roles and, you know, companies running flatter structures that as a woman, you need to position yourself in that regard, you know, have your plan in mind and work towards it. So when the opportunity comes, they have no choice. And I think I do that a lot. And people, you know, some people see it as forward, but I see it as putting my own like destiny in my hand. If there's a position, I will ask for it. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when we talk about organic progression or fighting for what you deserve, the reality is that we know there's already a bias. That more likely than not, in certain roles, they'll want to pick a man. And not even because the man is more qualified. Sometimes they may think she's the only woman in this technical team. I don't want her to lead this group of men. You know, things like that that have no merit. Like you say, protecting me when I didn't ask you to protect Mm. me. You just reminded me of something. There was a supervisor that told me once, and he just said it flat out. It was years ago, to be fair. And uh, you know, to be fair, it was. I don't think he can get away with something like that these days. But he said it flat out that you know, women, especially women that are married, they don't need the money. So why should I? Promote them? <laughs> <laughs> they have husbands to look after them. I I laugh because we basically had the same experience. Indeed. So you can just imagine, that's so random. You can imagine how many women are hearing this. Exactly. Who have had similar experiences. Crazy. And I can tell you that that's similar to what my mom had when she was working in the industry. Because my dad is an engineer. And, you know, my mom was more into the humanities and she was working uh, in the same place as my dad. And it was almost like, no, you're, you know, you have a husband. You don't need to be, you don't need to aspire to anything more than, where you are now it's ironic that you know how many years decades later it's still such a thing you know and just to segue a a bit i find it funny because the man who said that if his wife was in an office that they told her that he'll be angry too why because that's extra money that would have been on their table of course and it actually harms it's actually harmful so until we eliminate them there will still be issues Mm-hmm. Whether, you know, we we say it as jest or not, there would still be issues during the decision-making process. Absolutely. So let's talk about your future plan. Does your future plan involve reaching C-suite level? Because what I notice is that most times women end up making money in the industry and end up starting unrelated businesses. 
you know, some men leave the industry and start oil and gas related businesses, but women rarely do. Mm, that's an interesting perspective as well. And I think you're absolutely right. Because I had this conversation today with my group of friends. And I think all my friends, I think there are about six of them. I don't think any of them wanted to remain in the industry, you know, in their plan B. I think we're talking about plan B, you know, maybe a PhD or maybe something else, maybe going to a different company and so on. And I, and just come to think about it now, I don't think anyone um, really talked about retaining themselves in the industry um, as a plan B, as a backup. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, once I'm done here, and, and when I mean done, it may be done from retirement and you may stay there until the end of your career or done mm-hmm. as at a time when you feel it's time for you to leave and it's not, you're not quite uh, retirement ready, but you know you take an early retirement or you leave the company or you resign or something. But you're absolutely correct that many of them, most of the women that I know of, don't seek to open their own companies. However, many people do go back into other oil companies. Um, so they leave one company and they move out to the other. I left a servicing company and then joined uh, joined one. And I dare say, if I saw something else that I liked in a different company, I would go. Yeah, I think sometimes representation is very important because in the industry I'm in, I don't interact with female CEOs. Maybe if you had asked me this question 10 years ago, I would have agreed with you. But I'm I'm at a stage where it, there are many of my, my peers, maybe not many, but a handful of my peers who are Maybe one of them is a director, one of them is a GM um, okay. of oil companies or oil affiliated type of companies. And by the time you're getting 20 years experience like I have, I mean, whichever company is, is, is wants to recruit me, for example, is not going to recruit me into an individual contributor kind of role. I would be yeah. looking at something into in a more managerial type of role. And I have friends who've left um, my company and they've gone to other companies and they've gone to really, really senior roles and doing quite well. So I think you're right from the perspective of a representation, but I think the longer you also hang around in the industry, then you then begin to see, um, you know, the unicorns, I call them. So I don't see it as something that's unachievable anymore for me as a person. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. I agree with you. I don't see it as unachievable anymore. But I see it as, and I and I guess this is what will separate the people who end up representing us and the people who don't, right? I see it as the amount of work, the amount of perfection. It's it's going to be a lot of work, an uphill battle for a long time, an unrelenting battle for a long time. Indeed, what happens most of the time is that. We remove our foot from the accelerator because we get tired. Yes, it's exhausting. And then at that point in time, when you have so much experience, and what I like about the oil and gas industry is that your skills are so transferable. You know, if you have that critical thinking, you have that analytical thinking. There are so many industries, places where the battle is not as exactly that we end up segueing into because they have broken, you know, the glass ceiling a little bit more than we have in our mm-hmm. industry. Just thinking about that, do you think that women may have consciously or, you know, subconsciously contributed to this lack of representation? I would say yes and no. And what you said, the last comment you made about it being exhausting is part of it. So when I say yes, that they have contributed, because ultimately 
a decision is made. Ultimately, a woman wakes up one day and says, you know what? I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And then she makes a decision to quit the oil industry. Um, and many times she may have something else she wants to do or just, you know, go into early retirement and take care of grandbabies and all that. And that's fine. So ultimately, I'll tell you, it gets tiring. After a while, you just don't have it in you to continue. So a decision is made. So that's why I would say maybe yes, right? However, the bigger question is why. And that's where the no comes in. The bigger question is why. And it's because of what you said just now. Women leave when the situation becomes untenable. And why is it untenable? It's because over years and decades, you see leaving. After everything you go through to get to where you are, it just becomes untenable to continue. And just like, look, you know, the only way up is out. And then you leave. You see, women can be prone to a lot of self-doubt. So women doubt themselves more than men do. And it's not because they have a lack of confidence, but it's because over the course of your career, your contribution is minimized. Your skills are underestimated. You are underrated. You have to be, you know, you work a lot harder to prove that you are capable. Once you move from one role to the next role, right, that learning curve of trying to get to that improvement and trying to hit your stride, you know, any mistake you make there, you are penalized for it much more severely. You know, people tend to forget that you've just gotten into this new role. It's almost like, oh, you know, we made the wrong choice in hiring this woman anyway. So you go through that over and over and over again. I remember changing changing teams just at some point in my career. And at the next team, I felt like I was in a different company. And I just felt like, you know, I was questioned at every step. Now, so that leads to women having a lot of self-doubt and then checking and check on guessing themselves a lot. So which does a number, of course, on your on your confidence as you grow, as you as this happens for many years. Now, after a while, of course, women are also passed over for promotions and they're passed over for stretch assignments. So and we've talked about that, you know, in, in the last few minutes ago. So I'm not going to rehash the reasons why. But by the time you look at all these things right it leads to a huge bias the bias is so pervasive that women under even underestimate them their own selves yeah and then they attribute any lack of success to their own to themselves as opposed to things that are not you know even within their reach so when this happens more and more and more around you it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and then the only way to go is out after a while your ideas are not taken seriously your opinions are not sought I've even been in situations where, you know, conflicts are not resolved. So once two women are having a conflict, and maybe call it a difference of opinion or a conflict, mm. as you would in any gathering where human no, beings well, are, yeah. nobody takes it seriously. They say, I don't mm. mind them, women, let them go and sort themselves out. You know, nobody takes yeah. those things seriously. So you are constantly second-guessing yourself. You are constantly proving yourself over and over and over again. So that's why, yeah. you know, after a few decades of that, it becomes untenable. I just like, look, you know, I'm tired and I have other things that I can pursue. This energy yes. And that's why the needle is not moving fast enough because it's really, yeah. really challenging. And, you know, after some time, and women just say, look, you know what? I'm going to take my talent elsewhere. Yeah, I, I think that I think that there's definitely an issue with obviously perception, the decision-making process, the environment, the culture, right, that contributes to this lack of representation. But I would say that what I'm learning is that there's a lot 
for women to unlearn. Women, we tend to let other people make decisions for us. It might be a culture thing, right? But it's like, ah, I think you shouldn't go for this job. Ah, this one, go for it. When you may have a better idea of what you want to do with your life, we let other people stare us in directions that they think is better for us, Mm -hmm. right? We are also scared to make people feel uncomfortable. I remember um, I was talking to a friend. There was an EA position available in her company. And I was just like, why not? EA to the COO, a high-level person. I was like, apply for the role. She was like, ah, you know I'm a woman. Or, you know, these kind of roles, they don't give it to women. Hmm. I'm just like, you are qualified. Even if they don't give it to you, apply for the role. Let them know that you're interested. And you feel like you're qualified enough to do it. So let them turn you down because you're a woman, right? Not because you didn't put your heart in the game or because you didn't have the skill, right? So these are the things that, you know, when we say, do we contribute to the lack of representation? These are the things that I feel like we do that contribute to it the type of person I am sometimes, there's conflict before we reach a symbiotic relationship. If it was a woman that I had as a boss and we had a conflict, it will now become, ah, women as bosses. And we women also do that. Indeed. But if we butt-headed with a man, you know, we wouldn't say those things. We're just like, this is a difficult boss. Why can't a woman just be a difficult boss? Exactly. There's a lot of things that I think we women, we do to contribute to our lack of representation that we need to unlearn. I believe it's a process and I wouldn't even say that I'm there yet, but I do believe that let our hindrances come from external, let them not come from us. So we need to start being aware of the things that we do to prevent ourselves from moving forward. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting you say that. I, I have a similar experience myself. In the past, I had this female boss who has a really very strong personality. And I think I'm, I tend to be quite outspoken as well. But just because I was so conscious of the whole thing around, oh, women can't work together, that I went into that relationship, giving less of myself and just playing a more supportive role to her. Right. So even when I had a difference of opinion, I would let her way prevail because she's more senior to me. And I wanted to support her more than anything. Because I think it was so important to me that it must not be said that women can't work together. Just because me and this one person are having an, you know, have a defense of opinion or, or we see things differently that leads to a bit of tension. So that's the thing. You are absolutely correct where even amongst women, you say, oh, women can't work together. That has not been my experience. I think in the 20 odd years I've worked, that was probably the first time I was having to be conscious of Oh, I'm reporting to a female boss. The other female boss I've reported to, absolutely no issues. Fantastic lady. It's not every every male boss you get along with either. I've had some really terrible male bosses as well, right? But that doesn't say I'm never going to work for a male boss again. But you find that women, younger women will say, I'm never going to work for a female boss again because the first woman boss I worked with, she was like this, which I think is really short-sighted because that's, I mean one person cannot be the lightning rod for every other person. Okay, so let's talk about SPE, Society of Petroleum Engineers. You're currently the section director of the Lagos chapter. Can you tell us a little bit about what the organization is and how the organization pushes for female representation? Yes, so SPE is Society of Petroleum Engineers. It's the largest 
individual member organization in the world for the oil industry, Australia upstream oil industry. So it's a global organization. It has more than 153,000 members and mm-hmm. it's in over 140 countries. I think it's about 143 countries. The way it's structured is you've got the SP International, which is a global body, and then you have sections which are in different cities around the world and got student chapters as well. Ideally, people who are in the oil industry, petroleum engineers, scientists like myself, researchers, even people in safety and related professionals are part of um, Society of Petroleum Engineers, including over 69,000 students members. So it's quite a huge body and being part of it has been uh, a great learning opportunity for me, especially in my leadership journey. So you asked the question around what does it do for women? There are standing committees within SPE, and one of them is called the Women in Energy Committee. It's a global committee, like I mentioned, and what that committee does essentially is try to promote gender diversity and create opportunities for women to step into leadership roles and pursue their career goals. And we have lots of activities. Um, I think you were privileged to attend one of them that we held in Lagos, mm-hmm. which was it was the first Women in Energy event hosted by the Lagos section. So, you know, feature the debates, there was a panel session, discussions, there were mentor and mentee matching, and there were over 300 participants in that particular event. And what we also did that was unique was to create a nomination of women to recognize the women who are blazing a trail in the oil industry. And I was really, really excited to see the hundreds of names of women that were nominated. So those ladies, those names were collated and they were awarded and publicly, of course, recognized for all that they had been doing in the oil industry. And I think those are really important because that's what you talk about representation. Sometimes you don't know and it looks like, you know, they are unicorns, but there may just be many of many more of them out there. In the event, you had the wall with all yes. the women. It was actually very inspiring. And and I think that's that's the big thing about representation. It made me feel like, okay, I can do this. It's not new. So wrapping up, what do you think is the way forward for female representation at all levels in the industry? I think it's about normalizing women's participation in the oil industry. And I think the way forward is to keep the foot on the pedal. This is a, I call it a battle, but this is a fight that didn't start today. It's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And with anything that requires a change in culture, it's typically very slow. Those things don't happen in a year or five years, right? So we really must keep up the tempo. And I think if I want to liken it to other um, struggles that are going on when we begin to highlight the problem to spotlight it and then to proffer solutions then things will begin to change so while we've made a lot of progress the future of work still presents an opportunity for women but of course we are going to have to be willing to do the work that's required thank you so much for having this conversation with me today it's my pleasure i enjoyed the conversation it was um it was really interesting. A lot of things that we said really require some deep reflection. Thank you for listening to this episode of Oil & Gas Conversations. Let us know your thoughts and the topics you would like us to talk about. As always, don't forget to share and subscribe.